Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's June 29th, 1900. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria. Rebecca and Ali, the Retrospectors. For centuries, a journey on a ship was a means to an end, but certainly not a holiday in itself. The wealthy had their own private yachts, but everyone else might be sharing space with livestock, might be sailing in a converted warship, might contract scurvy or gangrene, none of which is in the brochure for Saga Cruises, because of this day in 1900, when the modern (laughs) cruise ship was born, something one might actually want to get on just for fun. The Princess Victoria Louise. And its history goes back a couple of years to 1886 when a guy called Albert Ballin, he joined the Hamburg America as the manager of its passage department. But he immediately realised that in the winter months, the company's flagship vessel, which was this ocean liner called the Augusta Victoria, sat completely idle. Passengers obviously didn't want to travel to the North Atlantic in just completely frigid Arctic conditions. And although he's being criticised by his peers for this unusual decision, Ballin chose to send the Augusta Victoria on a 58-day pleasure voyage from Germany to the Mediterranean. But this ship wasn't built as a cruise liner itself. Yeah, not everyone was convinced. One of his fellow executives on the Hamburg-America line said that passengers would, quote, surely not submit themselves to the hazards and discomforts of a long voyage just for the incidental fun of it. It was true that the Augusta Victoria had not been built as a pleasure cruising ship because such a thing didn't exist. It was just a normal ocean-going liner, so it didn't have any of the amenities and facilities that you might expect to find on a cruise ship. However, what Ballin did pioneer was the idea of planned excursions from stops along the way. So rather than just saying, we'll send you in a really lovely ship to your destination, Ballin introduced this idea of the trip is the holiday and we'll stop off at places along the way and organise excursions for you. What he then developed for the ship that launched on this day was first class cabins. And not just first class and then you could choose cheaper Mm. ones. He wanted to market this as a premium experience, always at the middle classes like always at the middle classes who thought they could travel like a German emperor, not actually at the ruling classes who could afford their own ships, but made people feel like they were aristocracy, made people feel like they were the real deal and only had first-class cabins on board, 120 of them, all luxuriously appointed by the standards of the day. And that's why the ship was named after Kaiser Wilhelm II's seven-year-old daughter, the Princess Victoria Louise of Prussia, to convey that sense that you were getting in something that was luxurious and upper class and so on. And also the design of the ship looked much more like a private yacht. It had a slim hull and a rounded stern and it had these decorative carvings and a figurehead of the namesake princess at the front. And it was all painted white, which both helped the ship's 
stay cool in tropical climates, but it also was there to convey that look of elegance that he was hoping for. Yeah, and the term pleasure cruising wasn't even popularised at this time. So a Scientific American article actually referred to the Victoria Louise's purpose as yachting, and that was a term that was encouraged by Balin, who, as you said, Ollie, knew he needed to appeal to the class who were wealthy, but not quite wealthy enough to afford to maintain their own private yacht. And reportedly, the Kaiser himself was jealous that it was slightly larger than the royal yacht. The technology to make cruise ships had existed for a century prior to this. You know, ships with steam engines were crossing the Atlantic by 1819. So I think what you're seeing is not a technological delay, although obviously certain things did have to be ironed out, uh, as we saw with the Titanic, unfortunately, turning speed being one of them. But actually, the market wasn't there. No one had proven... Essentially, that the middle classes had an expectation of international leisure tourism. That didn't exist. Yeah, because boat travel had such a bad rap. In the days when any kind of overseas travel necessarily had to involve a yeah. boat journey, the idea of going on a boat as a holiday would have been seen as absolutely bizarre. You know, Even, even if you paid for first-class accommodation on these ocean-going liners, the crossings were generally still seen as being incredibly uncomfortable, cramped and boring, even in the most luxurious quarters. You know, a lot of cabins mm. didn't even have windows. There was nothing to do on board because the ships were built to take you from A to B because that's the vast majority of people wanted to do is just get to their destination as quickly as possible and that meant cutting any luxuries and frills so there was hardly any deck space either that was another thing that Balin wanted to change so he created this big covered deck so you could have outdoor promenades you could have bands playing on the deck and these are the kinds of things that earlier ocean going liners would never have even considered but the boat also had some really curious things because actually Balin had consulted with the Kaiser before he'd constructed it and the Kaiser had recommended a bunch of stuff that actually was useful like a library and and a gym, but also, and this must have just been the Kaiser's personal interest, but he advocated the idea that Balin should include a dark room so that amateur photographers could process their travel photos as they went, and he did. <laughs> so aboard the ship, there was a dark room that uh, that was presumably just the sort of passion project of the Kaiser. Yeah, I feel like he could have asked a wider panel of people to <laughs> yeah. get more useful input, to be honest, rather than just being like, so what do Kaisers like to do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but hold on, a dark room? In 1900, you know, that that actually was like, that would be like having VR headsets on board now. Come and try something new when you come on our ship. I mean, that is what cruise ships are still doing, isn't it? And actually, I mean, this is just a few years after the Kodak cameras have come out. So these pocket cameras are available for the first time. And I suppose it was actually good propaganda for the cruise industry yes. as well, that people could take photos while they were on board the cruise, have them developed, and then show them to everyone being like, look how amazing these cruise ships are. They had themed dinners as well. Uh, apparently to celebrate Abraham Lincoln's birthday on February the 12th, 1906. They had a meal of fried halibut in Russian sauce, which doesn't seem that American, does it? (laughs) Mixed messages there. I saw a sample menu and eating and drinking did look like one of the things that really recommended this boat. They regularly had eight or nine course dinners. And I, th- I mean, it's astonishing. The, the one that I saw starts with cannelloni and then there's a soup and then there's a fish fillet and then you have roast beef, American style. And then there's a green turtle ragu, <laughs> which wouldn't mm, fly I'm these less days. interested. Yeah. <laughs> Um, then you get your roast turkey and then strawberries and ice cream. So, I mean, you were getting just this astonishing array 
Because the, the service was modelled after Europe's grand hotels. Previously, for ocean liners, if you travelled first class, what that meant was you were getting better service than the people in the other classes, but you certainly wouldn't expect anything comparable to an on-land hotel. Whereas on the Victoria Louise, all 120 cabins, not only were they premium and they all had windows, they were fitted with electric lights and electric pager buttons to summon a steward. So they were trying to replicate that hotel experience. Yeah, it wasn't as cool for the steward probably being summoned every 10 seconds to shine someone's shoes. But also probably just to show off the technology. You know, people press the button. Look, yeah. oh, you're just works. checking if okay, you'd go. No, <laughs> must have been a lot of that. Um, it did, though, unfortunately, end in. I was going to say tragedy, but obviously, in the context of the Titanic being the more famous cruise lining crash, um, not utter tragedy. But it did crash in December 1906 against an uncharted ridge off the coast of Jamaica. No one was uh, irreparably harmed in that crash, although the captain did commit suicide because of the shame apparently, of having steered the ship into that ridge. Yeah, he he had supposedly confused one lighthouse for another, and so he accidentally ran the ship aground against the rocky coast. They tried to dislodge it, but they weren't able to, and all the passengers were escorted to safety the next morning without incident. Apparently, after they'd been evacuated, Brunswick went to his cabin and shot himself in the head. And two nearby ships actually tried to come to the princess's aid, but they just couldn't get her to budge. And so later, the Merritt and Chapman Wrecking Company attempted to recover the ship but they also couldn't make it move and although this was the beginning of the cruising industry it actually went pretty dormant for a few decades obviously there was the titanic disaster which yeah not the best uh, not the best promotional material <laughs> not the best advertisement in the world and then you obviously world war one and a lot of the major cruising lines were germans and obviously the war interrupted all overseas travel ballin actually committed suicide too he took an overdose of sleeping pills two days for the armistice because he could foresee obviously where the war was going and indeed the Hamburg America right. Line's three flagships were seized as war reparations, so that put paid to that. Then you had the Depression, so a lot of people just didn't, didn't have the money. Those those middle class groups were not ready for a cruise. Not yeah. feeling. <laughs> I'm just not in a cruising mood right now. And then, of course, World War II. Once again, yeah. nobody was going to be crossing the Atlantic for pleasure. German-Jewish-operated boats probably not flavour of the month either on either side of that campaign. No. I mean, it was, a pretty, it was a pretty brutal start to the industry. The conditions, I think we can safely say, were not favourable to its development. And so it wasn't until after World War II that cruising would penetrate the mass market properly. And it was at that point that people really got their taste back for green turtle ragu. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. Or you have seen a heavily masked cat burglar peering around the stack pipe of the local bank building. In a striped shirt. <laughs> Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.